Welcome back to the Saturday edition of Walter Women's Basketball, the internet's only women's basketball draft-focused podcast. Today, we're spicing up a bit with an in-depth, somewhat nerdy conversation on player development. For instance, what skills are innate in prospects? And on the opposite end, what skills are teachable? We'll talk about all of that and more on this episode. Walter Women's Basketball starts now. Welcome to Wallet. For the win! You are locked on women's basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Welcome. You are awesome basketball. Thanks for making us your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcast and on YouTube. My name is Nick Cruz. I'm your Saturday host covering the NBA draft and prospect scouting. I'm joined by my co-host, M. Adler and Lincoln Schaefer. M. covers the WNBA with a focus on player development and the game within the game. Lincoln is our biomechanics guru and contributes to our WNBA draft coverage at the next. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the quality candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash LockedOnNBA. That's linkedin.com slash LockedOnNBA to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So with this episode, I'll turn it over to you, Em, to explain the overall purpose and the idea behind covering this topic um, on today's episode. Yes, of course. Welcome to Locked Women's Basketball, the only podcast where one and a half of the podcast hosts know, know what's going on, and the other one and a half are just along for the ride. I'm going to open today's episode by asking a question that technically has nothing to do with women's basketball, which is, uh, Hunter and Lincoln... What do you think are some general human abilities that AI simply cannot be taught? Um, you know, I, I I think for me the first things that come to mind, and I think the some of the things that have been pretty prominent when you know you ha- we have these philosophical debates, are you know a true sense of creativity. You know, I think that's one of the key things that separates man from machine. Um, maybe something like true uh, dynamicism, like you know you can you can make AI have like so many if then pathways that it can mirror like true outside the box problem solving. Um, but I, you, you know, I don't think it can necessarily solve a, an entirely new and heretofore unseen problem. Um, yeah. Hunter, you got any ideas? Man. So uh, just in general, I think um, from a scouting standpoint, you'll say is there's just some stuff you can't measure with stats. And I think similar to AI there's just stuff like, oh, how, how good of a communicator are you? How can you relate to people? I think that's just some of the, some things that you really can't measure with AI um, in general. So I think with scouting, there's stuff that, you know, can't measure on a box, a box sheet. There's some players that just do stuff that is valuable. There are some players in the WNBA that don't provide a lot on the court, but they're still on rosters from that instance. Lincoln, what do you think? Yeah, my first thoughts here are like uh, emotion. That's obviously one of the things that separates man from machine and um, sort of a, a competitive drive. You can't measure heart in a way that uh, makes it so that you can implant that into a machine. Those those are my uh, my first two thoughts. Truly, ChatGPT can't have that dog in him. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I think, um, you know, one thing, one thing, Lincoln, you mentioned to me before the pod was the idea of, you know, having idiosyncrasies and especially heuristics. 
Um, I think that is actually some, somewhat key, and that's not to get like too outside the box nerdy on this, but I think that that's sort of one of the things that I think a lot of so sort of intersection between um, psychology and logic um, in terms of the study of and um, sort of evolutionary biology doesn't have like a concrete answer for why it works, but it just does is, you know, the human instinct to have these sort of heuristics. You know, they help us survive in the wild, but they but they hold up so well in situations that would otherwise you'd think you'd want a sort of more um let's say like rational mindset and sort of sort of open thinking for and and often you know these things don't help us in terms of you know when you think about the human nature of tribalism it's not great in today's society to rely so heavily upon that instinct but you know what the the way you mentioned that before for uh i think a lot of things you know when you think of the way ai is going to problem solve it's going to go through you know always a very rational and very logistic sort of set of steps. And I think the heuristic and the human instinct to that combines a lot with what I was saying before about uh, dynamicism in terms of, you know, being able to solve these new problems that haven't been seen before. You sort of have to at least break them down and approach them in a way that, you know, people would approach problems that they're familiar with. And that's the same way that AI would do it. But if you're trying to, you know, go outside the box for that in the same way that, or in one way that, you know, if you're solving it logically, how do you approach something that you haven't solved before? It's sort of a break in the code. The human instinct towards heuristics is to relate it to something that that we've seen before, even if that's really not accurate. But that's at least an, that's at least a way in. And then you know, like I said about dynamicism and creativity, it's it, it is sort of an approach to that. Um, and I think, Lincoln, there was something you mentioned before, um, uh, sort of about. Um, uh, sensation and dunking. Yeah, the the whole idea that um, like a machine learning a program won't be able to feel any sensation beyond being drowned. Um, you can't a, a machine can't really feel the like raindrops on your skin or the wind blowing through your hair. It's these it's these. The thing is that the little moments are what makes us human. The little contradictions that live inside all of us, the little idiosyncrasies that make us like imperfect in a very human way. Uh, that's that's something that I don't think that you can replicate with machine learning. It's it's these this, the small things more than the big things. Thank you, Natasha Bedingfield. The yeah, and I think um, to sort of connect that to something I, I've been mentioning before, I think there are, you know, these little things that we try to make into problem-solving techniques as humans that, you know, there's so many there's so many fun psychological studies about the way that we try to problem-solve and the way we cite, the way we try to see patterns and things where patterns just don't exist that I think relate a lot to obviously the point that I'm that I'm getting to uh, that, you know, I wanted it to be more of a surprise for Hunter, but I think just given the the format of the show, it's it's kind of impossible to set up. But you know, the um, the way we as people interpret new situations, of course, um, and the way we look for patterns and things, I think, is super important to you know just who we are as people in terms of you know that 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 like I said, that instinct towards pattern recognition. Um, Hunter, do you have any others 
that, that have come to mind for, you know, things that you sort of can't mimic with AI? First, though, can you explain, um, even to me, how do you think this relates to scouting, like in general? Just I refuse to answer that. I, I refuse to answer that question until we until we finalize our list of things. You refuse more to fun this that way question. for me, at least. Okay, other things you can't explain through AI. Honestly, in general, with for AI, those at home, Lincoln is cracking up because I did this exercise with him a couple of days ago to see if it would hold up, and he got so like like happily angry at me when I revealed it. Yeah, I can't think of anything on the spot. Great. Yeah, so these are actually, these are pretty similar to the ones um, uh, I think uh, Lincoln had the other day. So uh, coming up after the break, I will reveal the answer to why I've asked this question. So, you know, we like to keep the listeners on cliffhangers here. Uh, but And we, the hosts. And the hosts. <laughs> but I think, I think we have a pretty good set of things that, you know, it... it our limits for what we can teach AI, and that is creativity, true dynamicism, you know, ability to interpret completely new environments, um, relation and communication um, in that sort of soft people skill kind of way, emotion and sensation, uh, having that dog in them, that sort of competitive drive, um, and the ability to follow heuristics and have idiosyncrasies. All right, sounds great. So after the break, and we'll get into that. But first, here's a word from our sponsor, LinkedIn. At the start of the new year, every small business owner is asking themselves the same question. What's the one move I can make that'll take my business to the next level in 2024? LinkedIn Jobs knows that your success all depends on the team you surround yourself with. That's why LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. Hiring is easy when you have have that many quality candidates so easy in fact that 86 percent of small businesses for get a qualified candidate within 24 hours so i small, small businesses rank linkedin jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors post your job for free at linkedin.com locked on mba that's linkedin.com locked on mba to post your job for free terms and conditions apply around new year's we get obsessed with how to change ourselves instead of just expanding on what we're already doing, right? Maybe you can finally organize one part of your space and you want to tackle another. Or maybe you're taking your supplements every morning and now you want to eat breakfast too. Therapy helps you find your strengths so you can ditch that extreme resolutions and make changes that really stick. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit betterhelp.com slash locked on MBA today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H E L P.com slash locked on MBA. All right, and we're back. I'm here with Santa Cruz. And before we get back into our conversation today, I want to inform you that Locked On has launched the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. Locked On Sports Today is here for you 24-7, covering the top sports stories of the day with local experts of Locked On, plus our national shows covering every league. Go to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. All right, so I'm going to swing it back over to you, M. 
uh, to kick us back off with this conversation. Right. So to reiterate the list one more time, the things that, you know, I think are the limits of AI, that we think are the limits of AI are the ability to, to have creativity, true dynamicism, and interpret entirely new situations um, in, you know, novel ways to relate and communicate in, in the way that people do, to have emotion and sensation, to have a competitive drive, and to follow here and to often to a fault, follow heuristics. These are the things, Hunter, that these are the only things that we as, as coaches cannot teach prospects. Everything else is teachable. These are the things that cannot be taught. These are the things that I think we would call X factors when we are when we aren't having this sort of very strange academic framework around things. These are the things that when you look for in prospects, you say this is what separates one player from another is one of them might be a really good mid-range shooter and might, you know, have this ability to sort of mirror defensive players and players in space on the defensive end and, uh, you know, be able to follow the, uh, their reads really well. Maybe they're a good cutter. These are the things, those things can be taught. It's very difficult. Those things can be taught. These things can't be taught. So I have, I have one question to follow, follow up that. So you say competitive drive, dog factor. So those are like two things that you view as being unteachable or extremely hard to be teachable. Mm -hmm. How does something like um, aggressiveness level, like how do you put that into picture where some prospects aren't as aggressive as someone else? Do you think that's teachable or do you view that similar to how you view the other things where it's just like this prospect isn't aggressive. It's hard to really instill that into them. I can take that one. I think it's honestly a little bit different. Uh, it be aggressiveness. I think what I would say here is almost a heuristic, but not quite. Um, that if you have a competitive drive, uh, like if you have this baseline level of competitiveness and you have this a baseline level of skill, you can teach aggressiveness, but it's not going to be easy, and it it might not work entirely, but. Mm -hmm. That is something that I think you can do. Yeah, and it's it's almost cliche to say that every player who makes it to the WNBA, for example, is working harder than than effectively you know everyone else. They are spending so much time, and, and this is ignoring the fact they have to go overseas. They have to effectively play the entire calendar continuously. Uh, playing basketball professionally, this is sort of ignoring that factor. You know, in their time off, they're still going to the gym, they're still putting up shots, they're still working on their game because, you know, you have to keep working that hard to be at this level of the game. It's almost cliche to say that that is true and also that there are some players who are still going to work even harder and that is what separates really a lot of the a lot of the greats from, the, from just the goods. And I think that is something that you can't teach. You, 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 you can't teach... The, the either the love or the drive that it takes to put in that extra work, you can't teach the sort of competitiveness that you know fuels someone almost to a fault. And so I think one of the interesting things is, Hunter, do do you sort of agree with this list as we sort of think about the skills that are that you can and can't teach? Um, 
you know, at least sort of in a vacuum. Obviously, we don't have as much time in the W and we don't have as much advancement in terms of what our uh, sort of personal coaches, what our player development groups can do in terms of what we can teach. But do you see the broad outline here? Yeah, yeah. So do you believe like with this is why like feel is something that like Paige Beckers, Tahina Pow Pow, Charlize Legger Walker, do you believe like that innate skill is something that really can't be taught is why their value is so high? Because I know we bring up feel a lot with prospects. Yes. And I'll give you a sort of long-winded backstory as to how I even got to this thought, thought in, the pro in the process, but that is exactly what I'm thinking of. And while I tell you the story, I'll tell you in advance, and for the listeners at home, they can sort of try to figure out where this is going. Um, what, what triggered this for me was a couple of guards who are current freshmen, so in the 2027 class, trying to compare them and why, you know, one might be insane, but the other one might be a tick ahead of them in terms of projection for now. So the sort of academic rationale for how I got here was, you know, I've been thinking for a while, for those of you who have read Spaced Out by Mike Prada, fascinating book around how the game of basketball is effectively went from um, where James ne James Neesmith had it to where it was in the 90s, and then how we got from the 90s, the early aughts, to the explosion of three-point shooting and player development and skill development and X's and O's that brought, that brought us to, uh, you know, the, the era we're in now where there is a new offensive rating record set basically every month. So I've been thinking for a while about a chapter in which he writes about how the majority of skills that make up playmaking are actually extremely teachable, contrary to decades of accepted fact in coaching. They just take a lot of very specific and intense training to develop because they're these sort of base cognitive processing skills. One of the examples he uses is he lays out this very complicated um, sort of playmaking process that has to be gone through by a player on the Lakers who's like a tall and stocky guard they sort of drive into the paint and they draw help and they're falling out of bounds and they make a read to the weak side and they sort of stare down the player who's zoning, the defensive player who's zoning up the weak side. They look them off and they fire sort of like a sidearm whip pass um, to the correct player by manipulating the defender uh, to generate an open three. And the punchline of that basically is this is such a complicated read. You bet I, you, I bet you thought I was talking about LeBron. No, this is Taylor Horton Tucker, who at the time was like a rookie. And the point of that is that that playmaking is so teachable. You know, Taylor Horton Tucker still, you know, he's not LeBron. He's a solid NBA player um, in spite of, let's say, what Lakers fans wanted him to be in trade talks for a while. Um, but, you know, the ability to coach a player up like this is there is so much like cognitive ability that we now know that you can teach someone and really develop that playmaking with. And I've been thinking about that a lot since I read it because I found a lot of it fascinating, but it always felt like there was something a little bit off for me that I, I it just seemed off that the idea that all playmaking ability seemed theoretically teachable. And that was in the back of my mind when I watched from last week, Notre Dame Syracuse. Each of Syracuse's first two possessions end with a Hannah Hidalgo steal. By the end of the first three minutes, she's had three steals and you could say she caused a fourth. How she got them to me is insane. She's not just an unbelievable point of attack passed in the way that Nika Mule is. She has an unbelievable an unbelievable ability to be a point of attack passed like Nika Mule. She also plays balls from behind like Sue Bird. And she also has the ability to, you know, defend drives, not necessarily with the same physicality, but in the same way as Tamika Kachin. 
truly, this is a player that we have never seen before defensively. Her first steal of the game involves Deja Fair basically giving a little hezzy and blowing by her off the dribble. But as soon as Hidalgo realizes that Fair is going to get by her, she basically wraps her hips around the angle that Fair is getting by her so that she's instantly playing Deja Fair from behind and then pokes the ball away from behind the way that Sue Bird you know, got so many steals. The processing it takes to do that means basically by the time that your hips are even even with Fair's uh, when she's getting by you, you already have to realize that she is going to get by you and immediately adjust your thinking to try to optimize your pursuit angle to have this really tricky wrap around the hips. This all happens in basically a millisecond. The second one is more straightforward, but possibly more insane. She closes out to Georgia Woolley in the corner. Woolley starts driving sort of laterally against her towards the middle of the paint. And then after maybe three or four dribbles, Hidalgo simply waits for Woolley to put down her next dribble. And as soon as the ball leaves her hand, Hidalgo effectively kind of flips her hips halfway and just beats Wooly to where the dribble is going. Like she fully just gets in between Georgia Wooly and her own dribble in a way that I don't really understand how that's physically possible, but it is. After the break, we'll wrap up today's episode. But for that, let's take a minute to talk about our sponsor, Hungry Root. Trying to eat a little healthier in 2024, Hungry Root is here to rescue you from short-lived resolutions by making meal planning easy and nutritious. Build healthy habits that won't disappear by February with Hungry Root. Hungry Root is the easiest way to get fresh, high-quality food delivered to your door. They've got healthy groceries and simple recipes all in one place. Take a fun, short quiz, and Hungry Root will get the know you, get to know you, your goals, and how you like to eat. They'll ask what flavors you like, what kitchen appliances you use, and more. And then they'll keep your needs and preferences top of mind and start building your cart with delicious recipes and all your grocery needs for the week. The best part is Hungry Root follows a simple standard. It's got to taste good, be quick to make, and contain whole trusted ingredients. Spend less time planning and shopping and cooking, and more time eating, enjoying and eating healthy food that you'll actually love with Hungry Root. Right now, Hungry Root is offering Locked On listeners 40% off your first delivery and free veggies for, for life. Just go to HungryRoot.com to get 40% off your first delivery and get your free veggies. That's hungryroot.com slash locked on. Don't forget to use our link so they know we sent you. Crazy it is. In spite of all these things about Hidalgo that, you know, not only make her such an insane prospect on this level, you know, she's averaging right now uh, genuinely 25, 6, 6, and 6 on 50, 40, 80 shooting. I'm, that's not a joke. She's doing this on 30% usage too. But even given that, why I think we would have some degree of confidence, all of us, in personally having full Wiley over her if, you know, every player were draft eligible today. Um, and, you know, I was also thinking about the sort of insane level of preternatural ability and spatial relations and processing it takes to do sort of all of these things. And why we're lucky with full Wiley, as we mentioned, that she's with a coach in Don Staley who was probably sort of the best possible coach to be playing for when you are when you have full Wiley skill set and the issue is you just sort of like have some lapses a bunch of times and you sort of make these mistakes that, you know, need to be reined in. And I think, you know, we obviously think super highly of Don Steely as a teacher. Um, and that's when I realized, but Hunter, I'll actually ask you, why, why would you have full Wiley over Hidalgo right now? I think with full Wiley, I think that uh, she's a little bit taller. That's one thing. Um, outside of that, I think Full Wiley is just an even greater athlete to like an 
exceptional degree, the vertical athleticism, what she can do in that way. And I think with Fu Wiley, it's just a matter of if she shoots, she's a generational, like we're talking about one, she's, she's making our top prospects of all time list. If she's, if she shoots at a high level. And I think, I just think with Fu Wiley, there's a little bit more versatility. I think she can probably slide down a little bit more. Uh, what we talked about with Fu Wiley, on like a, I think it was an earlier episode was that she is an elite shot blocker for a guard, something that we really never seen. And I think with what she can do, her elite processing ability, it's it's actually gotten closer for me. Like I think there's a case for Hidalgo. Oh, and I oh think for sure. Hidalgo has definitely like surprised me. I was I was high on her coming to the year, but I didn't expect. I don't think anyone expected 25, six, six, and six in any imagination. And this is only can, this is a freshman version. Can you describe for me um However, however, sort of briefly or summary case would be, if someone's looking at their stats and someone sees maybe, let's say, the Hidalgo game against Syracuse, not her most efficient game from the field for shooting, why would you look at full? Why would they look at Full Wiley's stats? What what is the simple answer you'd give them as to why, in spite of those things, Full Wiley is on the same level, if not a little bit higher? What, what can't you get from the tape? In front, not from the tape, but what can't you get from those stats? What you can't get is that. Full Wiley's playing with a team of WNBA players alongside her. She is on the she's coming off the bench. She's not taking a primary usage role like every every game. She's not running an offense from immediately from the jump. She doesn't have that freedom. Because the thing with Full Wiley right now is South Carolina is really trying to win. And she like you said, she has the lapses to where if she has the lapses, they just can't have her on the floor at some points. Mm-hmm. And so I think if you look at the stats, there's some games where she just doesn't play as many minutes because it's just not clicking. So they don't have the freedom. But with Hidalgo, she's their number one option. She has the high usage. She's got the freedom to work through her mistakes, Mm -hmm. um, I think, more. And I think as the years will go on, I think we're going to see the gap in statistics. I think we'll definitely shrink a little bit. But I think overall, you really just can't look at statistics um, when you're measuring, like, who's a better prospect one-to-one. I think it's just one of those things where you use it, you can't really – use it as a deciding factor. Like even with her, her um, a former South Carolina player, like Aaliyah Boston never had elite standout stats compared to some of the other prospects in her class, but she was the highest pick. Like she averaged like 14, I think at some point, 14, 15. So I think overall, yeah, it's just, it's just conceptualizing their roles more than anything. Lincoln, what would you say? I would I would say that uh, Malaysia Full Wiley is the best guard athlete I've ever watched in women's basketball. It's like her vertical and lateral athleticism, the explosiveness, um, her ability to just kind of appear at the rim whenever she wants is just incredible. And then you combine that with um, defensive playmaking and the ability to shoot uh, 35 foot threes and make them at a decent clip. Her off ball utility, I think, is a little bit better than Hidalgo's right now. Uh, and it's just, it's something to that, like, you can't teach explosiveness in that mm-hmm. way. Yeah, for me, the separating factor between Full Wiley and Hidalgo, for as good as Hidalgo is offensively, and she is an excellent point guard. For me, the thing with Full Wiley is her creativity and her dynamicism, I think, is the greatest thing I have ever seen in women's hoops. I think when we think about positions, we think about women's basketball being led by fours. And that's 
a little surprising sort of in the abstract of the game, given the most important defensive position is the five. And the most important offensive position is sort of obviously the one, but the way that the game has gone, the way that both on the men's and women's side, the stars tend to emerge from different positions. There is so much on a point guard's plate that it's really rare for them to emerge as sort of a true lead scorer and be able to do other things. This is what makes, you know, um, Skylar Deacon-Smith run in Phoenix for sort of inconsistent as some of like her finishing, which is super important, was, or her three-point shooting, super important, were. You know, her ability to do as much as she did was genuinely completely sort of new, and we've never seen that before in the game. We've really not seen that on the men's side for a prolonged time either for a point guard to do that on both ends. Um, you know, Becky Hammond, I think, is sort of the one player who's been capable of being both a genuinely elite playmaker and their team's leading scorer, driving an efficient offense at the same time, doing both of those things on the women's side. And I think with Hidalgo, like I said, her creativity, her dynamicism is something we haven't seen before. The ability to see the game the way she does, like Lincoln said, she gets these 35 foot pull-ups, but she's doing, you know, 25, 30 feet, whatever. She's doing this in sort of a way that it's like, yeah, that's a good shot. <laughs> like she's a good enough shooter. Like, if she's taking that, it's a good shot. But her instinct is also, if she's not doing that, she has this sort of, to relate this back to what we're talking about with the AI, her her drive, her the the dog in her is almost say is it, it's almost like she treats any time that she it's more optimal for her to get downhill instead of taking a three. She almost seems to treat it as a challenge to find a way to get to the rim, draw contact, and finish. And not just, you know, get to the mid-range. And the absolute, oh, and I completely forgot to mention this um, on the AI thing. One of the things for me that's super important that relates to this is, is smoothness. You know, no matter how much you can optimize an AI's process, you know, it's the same way as trying to, like, approximate a circle with, with uh, a polygon of a certain number of vertices. You know, you can create, you know a you know where uh where a pentagon is five and an octagon is eight you can create something that has like 22 different sides but it's still not a, a perfectly smooth circle an ai and the way that it works in terms of having these sort of algorithms that optimize uh decision making and problem solving you can't perfectly approximate sort of the smoothness of human rationality and of and of movement and that's the thing i think with, with full while as well the smoothness of the creativity of being able to go from wanting the shot to driving to these absolutely insane playmaking abilities that we've seen. It's just the ability to do all that is something we've never seen before, frankly, for me. And it drives an entire team in a way that just being a, like an elite defender and an elite offensive player doesn't unlock that extra level of complete unstoppability. Um, and, you know, when push comes to shove, you can make someone's brain, um, you can teach them to stop taking all these mid-range shots and go for go for threes instead or whatever, but you can't teach them the competitive drive that it takes to turn every drive into an into a challenge to completely outdo their opponent and to almost embarrass them with your passes and with your finishes. Um, and I think for me, that is how you know we get to this weird place that I that, that I've been setting up through this whole uh, episode. And I think that has a lot of ramifications for us as scouts, right? It, this, this is sort of a way to figure out what are these things that we can't teach? And then that allows you to sort of cascade from there with some if-thens. Okay, so what are the things that we, of the things that we can teach, what do we know we're better at? What takes more time? What are we prioritizing here? But I'm also thinking, Hunter, when you're, both Hunter and Lincoln, when you're looking at players to scout, 
if you're not necessarily approaching it from this whole thing that we've been doing the past half hour, but if you're approaching it from the perspective of, you know, what are the difference making things that, you know, some players have innately, I think we have a solid list here. How do you try to measure that? How do you measure it? So some, some things for us can be a little bit difficult. Some, some things to measure, like you talk about con competitive drive. Some of that stuff is intel you get from coaches, you get from the people that are around them. But for us, I think one thing I like to do is like you can learn a lot about a player from your initial watch. Like just the initial, what you see, just just kind of the feel of how they move, how they how they react to different situations. That's super big for me. Like I like as I've gotten to do this more and more over the years, I can look at a player and I'm like, this is probably a prospect. Like you can just kind of tell immediately. And that's some of those innate abilities. Like you can look at stats, you can look at numbers, but if you watch them, like sometimes it's just kind of more obvious than looking at numbers, whether you look just at numbers in general. I think, um, but I don't know what you think, Nathan, how you fare. Yeah, that. I think uh, one of the ways to tell some of these things is if you're watching, don't just watch the things that happen, uh, one, when they have the ball in their hands, but two, when they're in the game. If you're getting uh, to watch them interact with their teammates, interact with their coaches uh, during timeouts when they're uh, not in the game, just seeing how people interact with each other is going to be uh, a really interesting view into their psyche and uh, the way they interact with the game. Yeah, I think I think that perfectly get, uh, gets to it for me, um, both of those answers. And I think one of the things you just sort of try to look for is sort of developing a sense of, you know, I think most people can watch basketball and say someone sort of has an X factor, someone someone else doesn't. I think just sort of getting a feel for that and, and sort of being able to see the way that the entire court moves and the way that a, and the way that a player sort of differentiates themselves and elevates themselves from the game around them. And, you know, just figuring out the little things and how they do that. Is it the smoothness of their movement? Is it how quickly that they are seeing things develop? And, you know, are they sort of effectively developing the game faster than the defense around them. You know, how much are they trying to enforce their will upon a game? All these sorts of little things that, again, they're intangible, so we can't exactly measure them, but they, there are ways to get towards them. And I think, you know, we make scouting into what it is for, you know, this level of importance, obviously. And it's, it's, it's just one facet of basketball. But the biggest facet of basketball always and forever will be player development. And... Knowing these sorts of things off the cuff, saying, yeah, these are things we can't really develop, allows you not only to focus more on the things you can, but allows you to sort of, when you're assessing, adding a player to your system, you know, figuring out the the player dev arc within the system of a player you're, you're working with, this allows you to sort of build around that, uh, at least having this sort of framework and, uh, and approaching it from this perspective. All right. Thanks for loving this basketball. Your first listen every day. We hope you learned something today. I definitely learned something and that's always good. So join the team at the next back next week for continued coverage of women's basketball. Make your second listen locked on sports today. The first ever national sports 24 seven streaming channel on YouTube. You can join us back next week, next Saturday for more WNBA draft coverage, but for now have a great rest of your weekend, everyone.